0: I want to preach this message. I don't know how, but I'm going to try. Um, And uh, I'm going to do it quickly because we don't have a lot of time. But if you'll stay with me, I promise you, it's good. The title of this message, it's a little bit of a downer, but it's not a downer message. It's actually a really, really great, encouraging message. The title of this message is You're Not Good Enough. Thanks, Dan. I know, it's offensive, right? But Stephen came to you before service. He's, if you don't know Stephen Lehman, he's the one that runs our, our media stuff and video and all of that, and he does a good job. And if you, when you see videos on the screen, he's the one that does them and uh, does the live broadcast and, and manages the volunteers for that. He came to you before service. He goes, okay, what do you got? Which means, what's the title of your message? But he didn't ask me. He just goes, what do you got? I said, you're not good enough. He said, you've been telling me that for years. (laughs) I said, no, that's the title of my message. It was like who's on first. But I want to jump into it. Enough of the, the funny stuff. I want to jump into it for a moment. I want to talk a little bit about David and Solomon and then Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, if I can get to that. I want to talk about David. David was a wild man. David was a wild, wild man who broke from tradition like, he, he broke from tradition in a way that it'll get you killed. Not like a couple of preachers are talking about you. It'll get you killed. He, he set up a tabernacle that completely changed the dynamic of what the tabernacle of Moses was. He pursued, he, he, the, he was a ruddy-faced boy who looked at a giant and decided that's no match for my God. He had so much courage and so much desire to pursue. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. Some think it's because of his value for the presence of God. He didn't care about anything else but God's abiding presence in his life. The Bible says that he got so crazy one time worshiping God, got so caught up in worship that he stripped his clothes off, got naked and danced before the Lord. Some of y'all are offended by my skinny jeans. Think about that for a moment. Right? Thank you. I was waiting for that. I was like, is anybody going to take the bait on this? No one's going to be hooked into complimenting me. Thank you, Jim. David was a wild man. He was wild. He was a risk taker. He was also an incredible screw up. Incredibly flawed. Yet somehow God found, he didn't just find favor in the eyes of God. God said he was a man after his own heart. And he has this son, Solomon, who I want to focus on today. You can imagine the DNA that David passed down grew up literally on the hillside with sheep and made his way, the journey from that to a king. Slayed a giant, defeated army after army with hardly anything. Built a tabernacle where he said, no more will one man from one family or one tribe One day a year, be able to access the presence of God. I'm going to build a tabernacle where his presence will be open not just to one man from one family, not just to one family, not just to men, but to every tribe. Man, woman, and child that would come and worship, they would have access to the presence of God. He actually began to foreshadow what Jesus would do when he would come and tear the veil from top to bottom. So he passes down the DNA of a pioneer, of a warrior, of a conqueror, of a disturber to Solomon. Think about it. Think of the wildest, I would, I would say Reinhard Bonnke would be a great idea, wild, crazy, you aren't going to tell me we're not going to be able to do that kind of faith. Right? And he has a son, Solomon. Solomon finds himself in First Kings chapter 5 before the Lord. I don't have time to read it all. I have so much scripture. It's like an hour and a half, and I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to try to do 20 minutes here. 20 more minutes from now. Um, uh, Anyways, and and he comes to the Lord and he says, the Lord says to him, Solomon, whatever you want, ask me for what you want and I'll give it to you. Remember that? So you trust me on that, right? He says, ask me what you want. And, and, And Solomon, the son of the rebel, the son of the shepherd turned king, the son of the giant slayer, the son of the conqueror, the general, the son of the guy who ripped his clothes off dancing before the Lord. He responds with something that throughout time we've celebrated, and I th- still think it's worth celebrating, but there's an element of it I think we need to learn a lesson from, and I'm going to get to that. But he asks the Lord for wisdom. And it doesn't really sound like the son of David, but hey, it doesn't sound like something that would come out of David's mouth, but okay. He says, Give me wisdom. And specifically this, he says in verse 9 of 1 Kings chapter 5, he says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people and the ability to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? Solomon comes before the Lord and says, I want to have wisdom, but I specifically want discernment. And if I'm narrowing it down anymore, I want to discern good from evil. We're going to come back to that in a moment. God has this moment with them. A moment before they ever laid a brick for the temple, before they ever sacrificed the first animal. Before anything, God has this moment and says, what do you want? It's yours. In other words, the inheritance you have as the son of a king who is after my own heart is this. What do you want? You can have it. That was the inheritance. And he asks for wisdom. And he asked for wisdom specifically to discern good versus evil. Now, we know today, or we say today, that he was the wisest man that ever lived. That's what the Bible says. That he, he was the richest, the most powerful, the most wealthy ruler and king that ever lived. I want to prove that to you, if that's okay. Uh, let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Just trust me, it's there. We're going to throw it on the screen. Go to verse, uh, let's go to verse 11. Actually, no, no, let's go to verse uh, five. Yes, don't talk back to me. (laughs) Verse five, it says this, it says in verse five, it says, King Solomon, now he's king, this is after God has this conversation with him, offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Thus the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. And it goes on to talk about all the things they did to dedicate the house of God. And if you read on through these chapters, you're going to find out that Solomon had a goal. His goal was that they would build a place where the presence of God would come and would abide. And we sit here and we say, that's noble. I'm getting ready to mess with your whole theology about this. 120,000 sheep. I want you to picture... If you've ever slaughtered one animal how much mess it is 100 in the courts of this palace 100 we're talking about rivers of blood 120,000 sheep and 22,000 oxen are slaughtered they're blowing trumpets they've got a whole thing going on then they have a feast An elaborate feast of the greatest things shipped in from all over the world. Then verse 11, it says, then he finished the house of the Lord. It's been dedicated. They slaughter 142,000 animals. And I want to tell you about the palace that Solomon built. I can't get into all the details, but I want to compare it to some modern day structures for a moment. How many of you you are Dallas Cowboy fans? (laughs) Yep. I didn't think there was more than that that we're dumb in here, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm actually a Miami Dolphin fan, so that's called, uh, I don't watch football anymore, all right? <laughs> it's like, there's games on today? What are you talking about? I'm a Dolphin fan. The, the, the Dallas um, Stadium is one of the nicest state-of-the-art stadiums in the world, built in modern age. Uh, Jerry Jones and his crew spent $1.2 billion building Dallas Stadium, $1.2 billion. That's a little over a billion dollars, OK, the Vatican, if it was built today and St. Peter's Basilica, the most beautiful palace or temple in the world, the biggest in the world. The Vatican, the Vatican is so big, the Vatican Museum, and has so many pieces of precious art in it that if you spent one minute in front of every piece of art, 24 hours a day, seven days a week and then 60 seconds later went to the next one, and 60 seconds later went to the next one, it would take you seven years to see everything in it. And that's what's on display. Then St. Peter's Basilica, you couldn't even find the materials today to build it, but if you could, and the crazy value that's put in the materials to build that place, it would be $6.59 billion. So under $7 billion to build the Vatican uh, Museum and St. Peter's Basilica. Crazy, right? So like six, almost six of Dallas stadiums. Solomon's temple and palace that he built for the Lord in modern money, if it was converted and we tried to build it today, would be $45 billion dollars. It is 37 and a half times the cost of the Dallas Stadium. Is it MetLife? Is that what they call it? No, what is it? The name of the stadium. And seven, almost seven times the value of the Vatican Museum in St. Peter's Basilica. So you take that museum, that courtyard, if you've ever been to the courtyard, uh, going into St. Peter's Basilica, the open arms of the Catholic Church there, it's just unreal. You've probably seen it on television when they do the huge uh, things a couple times a year. Pope comes out. It's huge. It, we're talking about seven times that Solomon built. 142,000 animals slaughtered. He went on to conquer city after city. One of the chapters, I think it's chapter 8 or 9, you can read in your Bibles. It's actually titled Solomon's Accomplishments. He spends a lifetime building, covering in gold and marble, slaughtering and sacrificing animals. A lifetime he has, he's the wisest man in, uh, that's ever lived, is what we're told. And he has this amazing gift, or at least we think it's an amazing gift, to discern good from evil. And he spends a lifetime doing all of this. It's pretty funny because if you continue to scroll down, um, uh, let's see, here is it here? I'm going to read this to you. Verse 12, same same place. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. We're like, yay, finally. After all the sacrifice, after all the building, the $45 billion palace and everything he's done, finally the Lord has come. Right? Finally the Lord is here. Finally he's inhabiting our praises. He's, he's here in the palace and the temple oh, wait, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people, wait, wait, what? Is there an and in verse 14? This is like one of the most quoted scriptures in modern-day Christianity, and we never say the And, I am getting ready to mess with you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's getting ready to mess with us. It says, and my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and I will hear their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. I want you to notice something. It, it, it was a $45 billion temple. It was 142,000 animals slaughtered. It was the rain being shut up from heaven, which means famine, Locust devouring everything. Oh, and if in addition to all that, how many of you have built a $45 billion temple yet? How many of you have slaughtered 142,000 animals? How many of you have experienced true famine? How many of you have had locusts devour you? Oh, and if you can make it through that, (laughs) and if my people who are called by thy name will humble themselves. We can't even humble ourselves. Let again make it through all this. Oh, and if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then I'll heal their land. Jim knows where I'm going, and he's scared for my life. I'm getting ready to challenge this scripture like you've never heard before. And uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with it because I think if you read it here, it's pretty hard to not accept what I'm getting ready to tell you. God is not waiting on us to pray more for him to come and heal our land. We've built more prayer houses in the last 100 years, in the last 50 years than in any time in human history. And yet our land is more wicked than ever. It's not getting prayer back in schools. It's not all of the things that we, we fight for that are great. Do I want my kid to pray in school? Yeah. Do, do, do I think we should pray? Yeah. Do I think we should have houses of prayer? Sure. Do I think? But, but we, we're reading an Old Testament scripture trying to reestablish. Listen to me for a second. Reestablish the tabernacle of David in the earth when Jesus came and said, I've tabernacled in you. Why would I try to establish something that he's doing in me already? We're just repeating Solomon and building another temple and then putting all these barriers between us. You know what it really is? At the end of the day, it's an excuse for you and I not to get off our rear ends and go actually be the Spirit of God to the earth. We're waiting on some... You, we're waiting on some, like, cosmic angelic like being to come down and to start feeding hungry people and loving girls who are this close to giving uh, or, or going and aborting a child or whatever it may be. We're waiting on God to like cosmically make this happen when he left the earth saying that I have tabernacled inside of you. The spirit of God is inside of you and I'm waiting on you to be the glory that covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. And we're stuck in our seats in churches waiting on God to do something, or building another palace, or trying to establish another sacrifice in our own means and in our own ways, and we think at the end of the day this comes down to what we can give God? Wait a second. What if God said to Solomon, I'll give you what you want, He asks for wisdom to discern good from evil, which at the end of the day is actually the wisdom of the law. Oh, I just stepped on you big time. There's two types of wisdom. The Bible says that the spirit of God in Proverbs is mother wisdom. That's what it's referred to. There is the wisdom of the spirit and there's the wisdom of the law. You can be around somebody that's really wise and knows nothing about the spirit. So he he asked, God, show me what's good and show me what's bad, and spent the rest of his life trying to be good enough, listen to me, for God to stay and his presence to be there. David had a tent with probably a couple ropes and moved around, and the presence of God was with him all the time. This guy built a $45 billion temple. Was he wise? I'm sure. He was the richest man that ever lived, This is the most powerful king. He had great wisdom, but he, does he have the type of wisdom that at the end of the li- his life he doesn't regret? I don't know. Let's go to Ecclesiastes and find out. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17, at the end of his life, he writes, Yeah, so I hated my life. The richest, most powerful, wisest man who ever lived hated his life at the end. Do you know why? Because the wisdom of the law brings death. The wisdom of the Spirit brings life. He was too busy trying to rule and gain God's affection and presence I'm beating Solomon up. I'm sorry. I know. I get it. He's our buddy. We just love Solomon. God gave me that wisdom of Solomon. No, I don't want the wisdom of Solomon. You know why? Because the wisdom of Solomon says, if I can just know good from evil, at the end of the day, I can be enough. And the truth of the matter is, you're not good enough. And neither was Solomon. Because at the end of his life, he says this. He says, I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after wind. Another version says it was all vanity. And another version says that he had seen everything that man could do under the sun. That's quite a bold statement. He basically said, if you could pull it off in your own human effort, I've seen it. And I'm going to tell you something right now. All that amounts to nothing in the end. It's still striving after the wind. And you know what the wind represents in in the Bible? It represents the Spirit of God in the presence. So at the end of the day, everything man could do was still striving after wind. It was still, at the end of the day, no presence. Oh, I'm about to preach this thing. Listen, I'm so tired of flirting around with this and just kind of be like, who poke, who poke? And everyone's like, oh, that was just a great sermon. Pastor Dan, I just learned so much. No, we're going to bust this thing wide open here and we're going to stop messing around with it. We're just going to stop messing around with it. You're not good enough. I am not good enough. Your papa, your mama, your neighbor, Reinhard Bonnke, the Pope, Solomon, his wisdom, we're not good enough. We can't do it in our own effort. We're never going to be able to do it in our own effort. David was the biggest mess-up and screw-up that you could ever imagine, did the unthinkable, and yet God said, he's a man after my own heart, because he was wild after the presence of God, and he knew at the end of the day, he didn't have, he, d- the Lord just said to him, what do you got there, buddy? He's like, I got a sling. <laughs> Solomon's like, I got armies, and temples, and, and this, and the Lord's like, what do you got? He's like, what do you got around you? You have an army? You have bullets?" You have grenades? I have some pebbles. (laughs) And the Lord's like, you have a yes? Do you have a yes in your heart? Do you have a yes for me? And David's like, looking at the pebbles and looking at his sling, seeing the people that had been slaughtered by the Philistine army and the loud, foul-mouthed giant. He's like, come on. He's like, yes, I got a yes inside of me because I know where I go, you go with me. I know that it's not a matter of what I can do in my own strength, that when my arm goes like this, it's your arm. When that stone flies, it's your stone. When you tell me to do something, I do it. He, I'm telling you right now, David understood. It wasn't about what he could do. It was about the abiding presence of God that went with him wherever he was. See, so you say, Pastor Dan, Well, then why did God say, if my people? No, he didn't say if. He said, and if my people who are called by my name. In other words, he is setting you up to realize at the end of the day, if you do all this and you humble yourself and you turn from your wicked ways and, come on, and you repent of every sin and you do this and you do that, then he'll come and heal your land. He's trying to get you to give up. He's trying to put so much burden on you when you think you can do it that you give up. And when you finally get to a point where you go, I've endured the locusts. I've slaughtered the animals. I've built the temple. I, I've gone through famine. And now I've got to round up everyone and get everyone to stop being wicked. Good luck. I'm going to tell you right now, we can... This is, this is not an anti-prayer movement message. I want to be very clear about that. I believe in prayer. I believe in, in, in bathing things in prayer, hearing from God in prayer, moving forth with prayer. I believe in that wholeheartedly. But I want to tell you this very clearly. If we, think, if we think that wicked people is what is holding back God, some people have repented of the same sin so many times. That that word should be outlawed from their language. God, I'm so sorry when I was in 11th grade. I just shouldn't have started a theft ring. Well, I did. We stole baseball cards and gasoline and, and, and um, uh, lures for fishing, okay? I was fishing with my buddy yesterday. Now he's got like a $70,000 boat that he paid for. I was proud of him. i went fishing yesterday with the same guy. Twenty over twenty years later, we used to go around stealing baseball cards. I'm a hardened criminal, people. <laughs> Scary. That's right. I did four hours in juvie. Okay. I did. It was. They were all my friends by the end. I'm just saying they were not the, the kids, the the adults. like, no, I'm going to tell you right now. At the end of the day, God's waiting. He is waiting on you and I to finally give up. And and I was saying this. This is not an anti-prayer movement message. But I want to tell you this. We will never be able to repent enough, be holy enough, turn from our wicked ways enough, do all the things this scripture said, because it's an and scripture. And 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 the whole purpose of the law laid out before you and I. The reason we read the Old Testament and understand the law is so that we go, oh God, and that, oh and that, oh and that. I can't do this, and then finally God's like, okay, now I can work with you. Now we got something going. Me and you, we got something going. Are you sure you don't want to? You can't do this on your own. I'm positive. Because if you do think you can do it on your own, I can also shut up the rain from heaven. I can send some locusts your way. Uh, Also, you're going to have to figure out how everyone is going to have to stop being wicked. And you're going to have to always be humble. And you're always going to have to. And you're going to do this. There was a friend of mine was at the White House the other day, and you might have seen the press about it. They had a worship service. And I think it's great the president invited people to go worship there. I'm glad that the halls of the White House are being filled with worship by some folks that have been invited there. I think it's awesome. Whether you like the president or not, I don't care. God's used crazier people. He, 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 he there's people there that are worshiping the Lord, and that's awesome. I think it's amazing. But we can have worship fest till the cows come home in the White House. We could surround the whole White House in worship. and worship. At the end of the day, if we think it's actually about how many people we gather, how much sacrifice we lift up, how much time we spend, who, what names we bring there, The queen of Sheba walks into Solomon and is like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this before. You you can have all the accolades in the world. You know what the Bible says happens? Solomon dies after he says this. His son Rehoboam takes over. Rehoboam takes over and then the people come to him and they say, don't be so hard on us like your father. Wait, Solomon? Solomon? The wisest, the richest, the most amazing king was hard on the people. How does that make sense? Because he put the burden on the people to keep the presence of God there. Oh, that'll preach. He put the burden on the people. So do you understand that that logic that is being put out there in the Christian world is is like, it's almost like climate change and I'm not getting into politics. But if you say climate change, you're always right. If it's getting colder, you're right. If it's getting hotter, you're right. And if it's staying the same, you're right, because last year it was getting colder, and it changed to this year. It, it, do you hear me? It, it's a no-win situation, because our excuse for God not doing what we think he wants to do in the earth is, well, wicked people pray more. Last year, we had a half a million march on Washington, if we can get a million. We do the Azusa Street thing in LA. We only filled up the Coliseum half full. Maybe if we filled it up all the way, then God would actually, you know, visit Hollywood. It's not about how big the temples, how much the sacrifice, how many people, the names, how many times we get to worship in the White House. All that has value, I'm sure. It's great. It's wonderful. But we can get to the end of our lives, mine and yours, and never say yes to the power that is in the blood of Jesus that Reinhardt talked about. We can never say yes to Jesus being fully in control, fully supplying our needs, fully giving us everything we have. And if we constantly are in a place where we are depending on our own ability to make Something happened in the heavenlies. I got to end. It's 1136. It's later than we normally go. Then we're missing the point. Rehoboam, really quickly, Rehoboam. They come to Rehoboam. They say, don't be so hard on us like your father Solomon was. He goes to his elders. Come on, we need to listen to our elders. Amen? Amen. Come on, we need to listen to our elders. Amen. Right? Yes. And the elders say, they're right. Don't be so hard. They're going to have so much affection for you and love you so much more. No offense to the young people in the room. But that wasn't good enough for Rehoboam. Then he goes to his young advisors. He says to the young advisors, what do you guys think? The old folks, they say, yeah, yeah, ease up off of him." The young folks say, no, no, no. You can't let up on him." This is the exact quote. It says, if your father used a whip, you use a scorpion. said double down on him if your father put burden on them you put double the burden on him we got to make our name for ourselves we've got to be known as a people that have the presence of god here we need to make them work harder build a bigger temple conquer more cities cuz that surely will be why god will come and visit our land you get me today? How does all of that come from a wild, ruddy faced boy who said yes with a sling and some pebbles, who danced before the Lord so passionately and insanely that he ripped off his clothes and God elevated him to king and he became a man known after his own heart? for his lineage to eventually become that, that I will put such a burden on the people that instead of a whip, I'll use a scorpion. And that will be how we will accomplish, that we will make a name. That's how we'll be known as a great ruler. That's how we'll host God's presence. There are two movements going on in the kingdom of God right now. The one that we're aligned with, which is the movement of we give up. We want to do it your way and in your strength and in your ability and your resources. And the other movement is, and it's happening out there, church. Let's double down on what our forefathers did. Put more burden. Be more intense and passionate. Pray 18 hours a day instead of nine hours a day. Build more temples, make a greater sacrifice. For what? I'm going to double back and finish with this. What if, I'm, and I'm done. What if, when Solomon was asked that question, Miss Gretchen, instead of saying, when God said, What do you want? I'll give it to you. Instead of saying, Give me the wisdom to discern and govern the people and discern good from evil, what if Solomon said, Give me your presence no matter what? He wouldn't have wasted a lifetime trying. Listen to me, trying to get something God would have given him in the first place. I'm done. I'm going to leave you with that. We'll see you Wednesday night.